Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200. This episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast is brought to you in part by our Major Spoilers VIP members around the world. Thank you for your support of Major Spoilers and the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you'd like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com and sign up today. Thank you in advance. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Zach. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue we've been bad we've been good from dallas texas to hollywood and now we wonder what movie adaptation really sucks the most clara oswald's disappointment spider woman's hindquarters and a big sale for superman plus we're rolling the usual assortment of reviews news off the cuff nerdery probably at least a little headbutting some call it sensational spectacular or fantastic but i've always found us kind of droll and waggish whatever the adjective our conclusion is clear we face dark side no Wait, sorry. Wrong conclusion. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air! Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode, uh, whatever we are, 588. Welcome to episode 588 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Worst comic book movie adaptation ever. First, Action Comics number one. Sells for $3.2 million. Matthew, you've got to be excited about this. This is an unrestored copy that's Mm -hmm. been sitting around for 70 plus years. It is rank, rated a CGC rating of 9.0. Everyone says the pages are white and that oh they are God. perfect. It is the only the second uh, action comics uh, comic in this condition to have known to exist. And mm-hmm. it went up on eBay as a no reserve auction. Started out as 99 cents a week or so ago, two weeks ago. Within oh, the first day, it sh- within the first day, it shot up to 100 or I'm sorry, 1.75 million dollars. And by the time the auction closed on Sunday, it closed out at $3.2 million, 3.27, something like that. Wow. Unrestored. Unrestored. It's, and and, and from the information uh, on the auction page, it's only had like three owners mm-hmm. over the years. And uh, So this isn't a brand new one. This is one that went into someone, someone's private collection and then resurfaced. Yeah, this was one, and I'm forgive me, I don't have the whole story here in front of me, but it was bought by the original owner in 1938. Okay. And that person kept it for a very long time until he sold it to a second person mm-hmm. who hoarded it, and this was like the 60s or 70s, something like that. And then um, the final owner, the person who put it up for auction, was was the one who paid, I want to say he paid like close to a million dollars for it many years ago, something like that. It may be a lot less, maybe missing a zero, but... Then he's held on to it, and he just decided that uh, he needed to get rid of it, and most of the proceeds are going to go to the uh, Christopher Reeve Foundation. And most importantly, this is the first appearance of Zatara. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm Zatara, sure. Man. I'm sure people are super excited about that. That. Yeah, as much as they it's... are excited about the rampaging Superman smashing that pa- Packard on the uh, cover. Superman? No, this is about Zatara, my friend. Zatara sells books. Zatara moves comic books. I am kind of psyched about this for a couple of reasons. One, 9.0, and if you actually listen to Steve and I do our thing a couple of months ago, um, 9.0 is hard to find, even in well, a brand new comic. Golden Age comic at a 9.0 is that's, that's rare. That's unheard of. That's ridiculous because the paper stock that they used back then was damn near cardboard in some situations. Essentially, from and what they what they said on this, is there is virtually no aging of this of this comic. Wow. They somebody loved this comic, and not I'll bet you even money that somebody loved this comic and wanted to preserve it, not because they expected it would be worth money, but because it was the greatest thing he'd ever he or she had ever read. Yeah, and I think that's fascinating. That's wonderful to me. But three point two million is that the highest comic sale that is, ever? That is the that is this makes this the most expensive comic ever. The previous mm-hmm. nine point sold for two point one million uh, mm-hmm. a few years ago, and that's when it got a right. lot of attention there. We've seen There's, detective comics go fairly high. We've seen a uh, there was an amazing fantasy that went for I want to say a million dollars or very close to a million dollars just a few months ago. Heritage Auction usually mm-hmm. is the one that deals with this, and you'll see some articles pop up on MajorSpoilers.com about that. But this is the uh, this was really amazing that they went through eBay with this and they opened it up to everyone. Yeah, and that they started well, at ninety nine cents. Yeah, this was definitely well, a, this was definitely a no reserve auction, and the owner of the comic they made it clear that, that he's like. I'm, uh, this is going to be a zero reserve. Well, he could have started it out at a million and a half. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. And he could have. they could have had some bids, but um, I think you get a more publicity over yep. the mm-hmm. over the thing if you say it's no reserve and anybody has a chance to get this. And yep. literally within 24 hours, it was up to uh, what do you think 1. first million. bid was? Probably a dollar. You think so? Yeah, somebody's going to do that. I, I bet no. I bet somebody went in because well, you don't look. bid on a comic like that. I mean, that's not something you just walk in and bid on and go, who? If I knew it started at 99 cents and I got in there early, I would put a bid in for like $15. I would have opened with 45 because I'm classy. <laughs> there were. Yeah. So here's what we know about this comic. There were 48 bids total, 13 bidders right. over 10 days. The very first bid it started at 99 cents. The first bid went in at a million dollars on that. day. Yes. Somebody I'm put out. down a million dollars. And of course, the thing with eBay is we don't know who these people are. Because they usually obscure their yeah. um, name with yes. with sure. asterisks and whatnot. Um, but the first bid went in for a million dollars at uh, the auction started at midnight on the fourteenth. By three a.m., three was, by three a.m. it had already hit a million dollars. People just let it sit for three hours. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> because it's midnight. By you may not the nineteenth, by the nineteenth at four thirty, it was almost at two million. Or I'm sorry, at uh, what is that? Eleven ten o'clock at night on. August 18th, it hit $2 million. And then the person who won, and from what I've been able to see, um, the person who won at $3.207 million only bid Whoa. twice on this comic. Uh, the first Whoa. the first time that the, this person did it was um, $2.3 million on uh, August uh, 24th at 10.50 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then uh, later that day at, um, at 8 o'clock, or 5 o'clock p.m., 8 o'clock p.m., somewhere around there, 
uh, for 3.2, mm-hmm. and that's where it closed out at. So what was the bid right before the final one? Uh, $3,207,752. Uh, yeah, $3, he bid $3,207,852. So bid by a $100 <laughs> increment. He bumped it by 100 Seriously? bucks. Yeah. And the person's like, He probably no. did that at the last minute, too. Well, he sat and, there and sniped him. <laughs> and as you look at this, people were bidding basically in... Hundred thousand dollar increments um, as the auction was closing. Wow, on the he 24th. totally sniped it. Yeah, he, he did. did. Yeah, yeah. He, he went in and he bumped it up by one. Oh set. my gosh! Basically, that's, a, that's, that's the equivalent of that's doing amazing. it by a dollar. Well, yeah. Now here's the thing: eBay takes what ten percent, so that's three hundred and sixty thousand dollars for eBay right there. Yeah. Now, I, I, to be honest, I don't know because this was going to, and maybe that's what he, the guy meant when he was talking about it going to charity. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if, if eBay and Google was kind enough to just say, hey, you know what? This is for a good cause. We won't take our cut. But maybe they did. Mm-hmm. It certainly got uh, eBay oh. a lot of recognition, something that they haven't oh, had sure. over the last couple of years. So, Well, and having, you know, having eBay recognized for something of this magnitude, I don't know if it's a game changer necessarily, but I wouldn't think of $3 million sales on eBay. That I mean, that's... Mm. That's that, wacky. There's a, That's crazy there's a lot of stuff on eBay that goes for some crazy prices. I know at one point they well, had, yeah, yeah. I know at one point they, I think they tried to sell an aircraft carrier uh, on eBay crap. like a decade or so. And I know ago. that there are guys who want me to pay two hundred and seventy-five dollars for a three-inch piece of plastic too, but I don't trust those guys. Well, here's here's a cool thing, Rodrigo. Maybe you don't have three point two million dollars. Do I don't. You? Well, you can still get <laughs> Action Comics number one for one hundred and thirty-two dollars and fifty cents. Wow, that's a lot nice. less. Yes, it is. And, of course, this one is, uh, what does it say? Oh, I think this is just a scan that you're paying for. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If you want a copy of Action Comics number one, oh, this is in a, 1994. Uh, 50, this is a reprint of the first issue. Um, yeah, in 1994, there's a reprint. It's worth six bucks. You can get them. Here is they one. Exist. What is this? I don't understand why this one's going for $78,000. Don't Superman go down original that production hole. animation cell art. Okay, there you go. Appraised is it, a, is it Fleischer Brothers? Yeah, it is. Oh, there you go. That's it's an animation. Oh, it's an animation cell. They were just using the cover to Action Comics number one on this. So mm-hmm. don't. Yeah, don't trust people. Somebody try to. They'll put up a thing for Action Comics number one, and they'll send you Action Comics number one from last fall. Yeah, that's what this yeah. one going for one hundred and thirty-two dollars is. You know well, what? it's the fiftieth anniversary reprint of what that. What felt really weird when I was looking at like this page and I saw advertisements for this auction mm-hmm. was that if you go to the eBay page, it has that kind of like uh, comic, yeah, comic book layout. Book. Yeah, yeah. It's it says, cool. "Yeah, that's cool." But what is weird in the first panel it says, "Up for a- auction, Action Comics number one. Who will be the next to own the most valuable comic of all time?" And right below that, it says, "An exciting tale brought to you by yeah, Verizon. Verizon Wireless." Yeah. Why are they involved in any measure of this? They're Verizon oh, Wireless. You know what? Man. Now that I read this, it's only one percent of the proceeds go to the Christopher Reeve Foundation. Oh, jeez. So even one percent of three million dollars—that's thirty grand, isn't it? Grand yeah, something like that. Hmm. That's thirty grand. I mean, that's what Zach makes in a year. I think. <laughs> I don't. If. <laughs> if. Oh, that's funny. Uh, why buy Verizon? I don't know. That is a good question. Um, yeah, that seemed really weird. <laughs> like they were like. Oh, dude! We need to promote this comic more. This sell they, they may have somehow been understand. Involved. Like, how does Verizon ever get involved in oh, this? Because, situation? well, maybe well, if they bought one of those 
like fake article looking thing ads uh, to get their names. And, you know, they like they have ads that now look like news articles or something. Yeah. That's the only thing I could ever think of is why they would ever want to attach their name to this. Well, well, it's uh, yeah. certainly publicity. Maybe that's well, sure. Well, considering that this layout is very different from anything else that we normally see in mm-hmm. an eBay auction. My guess is the people who were putting this on and uh, Darren Adams, who is the owner of the issue, basically said, we know this is going to get a lot of publicity. How can we get some more money out of this deal? Let's see if we can't sell this. <laughs> and they probably worked it out with eBay to mm-hmm. allow the advertising inside one of their ads or one of their <laughs> auctions. So what does this say about collecting comics? Anything? I mean, I had an interesting conversation today with uh, Scott Johnson and Scott Kurtz, where basically uh, one of them was uh, saying that, you know, comic collecting's dead. Nobody wants to buy old comics anymore. I think every... Uh, collector, uh, like, I don't know, subsection, he's going to have a holy grail of some kind, right? Um, And for comics, it's Action Comics number one. I don't believe that nobody wants to collect comics anymore. I think that that is an extreme exaggeration. And I think that the fact that people collect stamps from countries that don't even exist any longer because they love stamp collecting will tell you that I think there's always going to be a subculture. Has it shrunk? Oh, hell yes. And it will probably continue to shrink, especially if you look at books of this magnitude. I mean, there cannot be more than, what, two, three hundred people in the world who can afford to well, sit and, and drop th- three and a half see, million on that's, a comic. I think That's, I think, the – I think that's part of the um, part of the problem in that – Yes, if you wanted to, you could go get a copy of the Kents from 1985 or 95 or whenever that series came out. You could go and get that probably for a dollar in the dollar bin or 25 cents in the in the quarter bin, right? You can probably do that, but nobody really wants to maybe read that stuff. And the problem is the further back you go into the Silver Age, like I'm experiencing with my Flash collection, and further into the Golden Age, prices skyrocket because inventory is so low on that now um and so that means that prices that are premium so when i go to a comic book convention i'm only able to maybe buy one comic for the entire time that i'm there at the convention and i blow my load in five minutes of of walking in the door Mm -hmm. because that's all the money i brought that's all i can afford and that is the one comic i can get so now it's going to be a whole other year before i can come back and get you know flash 22 Mm-hmm. and spend right. another amount of money. When you're talking millions of dollars, you're right. Nobody's going to be able to afford that. Yet, if we wanted to read Action Comics number one right now, we could do it. Dude, I have a copy. Yeah. Of the and 1990 it's not, and or it's the not 1983 slab. reprint. It's not slab like this one, which you don't want to open. Yeah, I mean, Why are the, people paying $90 for the 1988 reprint? What's wrong with people? Well, they don't know. But, well, because but they printed yeah. a million of them. The thing about collecting is nobody is paying... I mean, uh, nobody's paying for this comic to take it out of the slab and read it. Exactly. I think they're aware of who Superman is and his strange trip from Krypton to our planet. You know, nobody nobody's doing it to read it. They're doing it to collect it. Collecting it, a collection, is a thing onto itself. And to pretend like collections have any sort of practical purpose is actually to detract from collecting. 
Like, no, nobody's... Uh, yes, if you want to read the comic, you can find the comic mm-hmm. and read it. You can probably find a scan on it online for exactly zero dollars. Yes. If, oh, you you, if what is really burning in your soul is that you want to read this very first appearance of Superman, then you can yeah. do it for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, especially with digital comics. I mean, even if you want to go back into the 80s and read your favorite comics from the 90s, Marvel comics from the 90s, you can go and have a subscription to their digital online service and have access to those titles. But, you know, it, the, the, like the same this. reason, there's there's a lot of cars that look like the General Lee because they're, you know, not only because it wasn't that rare of a model of car, but also because people painted up their cars that look mm-hmm. like the General Lee. Mm-hmm. But the actual General Lee from the Dukes of Hazard, or like one of like the f- three that they had from the actual Dukes <laughs> of Hazard is going to sell for a ton of money, mm-hmm. way more than a non-servicable car of its kind would yeah, go yeah, for, yeah. right? Yeah. It's because it's the collection of the thing. And I think that the argument that digital comics exist is a separate argument of, especially uh, when you're paying $3 million for a book like this, a separate argument because the point of owning this book is owning this book. You're the guy who owns this book. And whether you own it as an investment, which I suspect might actually be the case, you know, I've got $3 million in this comic right here. That's not liquid assets, but it's something that now I'm now, you know, I have this item worth $3 million that I can keep in my pantry or whatever you want to do. That's not the same as I really want to read, you know, all the issues of Black Goliath from Marvel Comics and I'm going to go track them down or I'm going to go, you know, buy them online from Amazon or whatever it is. Those are separate things and i think rodrigo is right when you look at collecting at this level isn't necessarily even about collecting the comics i think to some degree it's just about agglomerating things that are you know worth money for whatever reason the the cool thing and i made this point during our panel presentation at nerdtacular was that you know before it was thought that oh there's only five of these comics that exist in the in the world mm-hmm. you know action comics is the most rare comic ever comes to find out now there's 50 known copies in existence and mm-hmm. i think being connected and being online has helped people make those connections and i think in some cases not in this case but in many cases can help drive that price down now it's fascinating one of the people that we met at nerdtacular um found a copy grandmother's mm-hmm. copy i think it was grandmother's um, Something like that, yeah. That's been around. Detective Comics number 27, first appearance of Batman. Went and had it graded and found out and told us this last week that uh, CGC rated it at a 6.0, the highest rating that it's ever found for Detective Comics wow. number 27. Ooh. Ooh, man. So wow. it's out there. Bank. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Okay. Big safe. And that's good to go. Yeah. So, you know, there's good that's stuff not, That's there. like zero overhead in that book. It came out of a, a thing and now it's like, woohoo, collectible. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. good luck there. Um, anybody watch Doctor Who season, quote unquote, eight? Yes. Season, quote unquote, eight. No. First of all, it's series eight. It's season 32. There you go. It's not <laughs> how 34. it's listed. It's not how it's listed online. Well, they're wrong. Talk to iTunes. I will talk to Did iTunes. Did you watch it? Did you watch you, it? Of course Rodrigo? I watched it. Did you watch it, Rodrigo? I, I didn't. All I saw <gasps> of it... Oh, don't gasp. I haven't watched. Uh, actually, let me let me just say that I have never watched an episode of Doctor Who ever as it originally aired in the United States or in Britain or anything. <laughs> never. Not once 
have I watched the original airing of any episode of Doctor Who. You so are don't, dead to me. Don't you gasp at me. Because <laughs> this has always been the case. I watched like the the entire Eccleston run on Netflix. Yeah. And that was my first exposure to Doctor Who. And the fact that I actually like probably saw the uh day of the doctor like the day after it aired mm-hmm. like that is after. like that is like the shortest amount of time yeah, yeah. that i've ever watched an episode of doctor who after it aired so save, no i didn't save I didn't for that it. one episode where they were simulcasting it live if i don't remember as that was when tenant was leaving um yeah most of mine have been like within hours of sure, sure. this one i watched the next day and it was fine i watched it the next morning didn't have to worry about commercials any of that stuff Ain't got to sit through it. Zach, there did, is... you, did you watch it? No. no, 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 no. I did not watch Zach it. Zach doesn't know what this Doctor Who is. No, I follow Doctor Who for the site, but I don't watch it. It's so, well, like, I... I don't have it. I don't have BBC America, so I'm just See. waiting for iTunes. And I actually, I think I bought a season pass for the first half of the last season yeah, of yeah, Matt yeah. Smith, and I think I only watched the first episode. Mm-hmm. But so I think it's all sitting on my computer. I got to tell you, first two-thirds of that show sucked. They were a little slow. The first hour was very, very unsteady. The first hour? How long was the episode? It was an eighty-minute episode. Hour. Oh, so yeah. it's like it's like Sherlock. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was it. There, there were things in there that I appreciate, and that beginning stuff seemed a lot like a lot of it was almost obligatory. Oh, let's yep. do regeneration sickness. Let's make sure we get all this, and let's make yeah, sure we get in. Yeah, but the sound effects of hitting the doctor when he falls onto the bed was really uncalled for. Eh, boing! It's a show. Literally, boing. It's, <laughs> uncalled for eh, I of the beholder I will say this it is the eighth first doctor story that I have seen because I've seen you know the fifth sixth seventh eighth ninth blah 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 this time I would say that they avoided some of the really stupid stuff that we saw with the regeneration right after six and seven it was definitely not as good as the first appearance of David Tennant because that episode was pretty awesomely flawless. I like some of the stuff that they're doing, and there are two things in that episode that I thought were dead solid perfect. Was the first one the metatext uh, conversation that the uh, doctor was having with the audience or that uh, no. Lady Voster was, was having with the audience about, hey, he's old. Get over it. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to be no. young and pretty. I hated that. Oh, I like the that The first part. perfect moment was where he sat down poured a drink and the villain was like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm terribly afraid I'm going to have to kill you in a moment. I thought you might want a drink. Yeah. That's like in the last 10 Love minutes that. of the movie and of the show. The second, the second perfect moment was when he looked Clara in the eye and said, I'm not your boyfriend, Clara. Yeah. Yeah. That, that to me was like, okay, yeah, that, that last 40 minutes of crap, I can deal with that crap because you've said two things right there that can, that constitute for me a mission statement and a tone for the new doctor that I'm on board with, and woo, yeah, yeah, he's old. Get over. I, it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really care about the age part of it. I, I thought it was fine, and I like the conversation that he has with himself, where he's saying, "Why this face? Why do I have this face? Why does it look right. so familiar?" And I'm hoping that somehow, They'll in one of the greater up. story arcs, that that's followed up through throughout the throughout the season. So, to be fair, Stephen. Seeing a 55-year-old man at our age, 43, is very different than seeing a 55-year-old no, and man that's what, if you're one of that's the brand what, that's new what, teenage fans of Doctor Who. That's what Lady Vastra was, um, was talking about. She's like, you know why he regenerates as, as a young self, right? Because that is 
essentially she was saying that is the thing young and beautiful is the thing mm-hmm. it's when people need to and he was trying to make a statement to everyone to like him because he was young and pretty now that he's old he's making a totally different statement mm-hmm. and in her mind the way she was saying it was he that he doesn't fit in. he doesn't care anymore about fitting in with the rest of the people or having people like him and so that this becomes then this meta message to the audience of you're gonna have to deal with this does he he gets a new TARDIS, right? Like the TARDIS yeah, he is redecorates different. the inside. Sure. The I interior. mean that's what I'm saying. Yeah. There's a new TARDIS set is mm-hmm. is what I was saying. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I wonder how many he's gonna get. Because didn't Matt Smith have like three? Mm-hmm. He had well, technically, depending on how you count it, he had three and a half at least. Yeah. Because he had his initial one with uh, all the typewriter and the wacky, and then it slowly turned into something slightly different and had that wonderful bit with the glass floors. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, I didn't think that this one that they showed us at the end was that vastly different from the last time we saw the interior of the TARDIS. Sure. The last time we saw Matt Smith, it is similar. And I believe the console, especially the spinny bit above the console is mm-hmm. the same, mm-hmm. but they did make some changes to the background and the upper levels. And I did kind of like the line where he's like, it should have more round bits. I used yeah, to have yeah. lots of round. Because they must be stored around here somewhere. <laughs> Well, you what know what I, those round bits were? Those are paper plates glued to the wall in 1963. Uh, I love painted. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I did see was the new Open, uh-huh. which I really liked. Yeah. Oh. That was um, that was really kind of a surprise In to fact, see that. I think that, you know, there was the first Open, which was carried from um, Eccleston all the way through the tenant run with, like, maybe a very slight change. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say that every open since then has been really like, has been progressively better. Yeah. And, and this one I really, really like. Yeah. It's very modern and it's very, um, what I want to say, uh, like the other ones, it's like, this is kind of the TARDIS flying through space and time, but this one is, we're totally ripping this off from Bill and Ted. Well, no, not (laughs) Um, you, I don't think Doctor Who can rip stuff off of Bill and Ted. That would be like the X-Men ripping stuff off from Heroes. That's a callback for all the people that keep yelling at us for picking on Heroes, like, back in 2001. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was like, uh, it was not... Yeah, I mean, I just liked it a lot. It was yeah, good. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, very it was nice. Very, this very is nice. the open for Doctor Who when he's With flying the through, like, an asteroid field and stuff? Yeah, when the clock spinning and twisting and all that stuff. Oh, no. What are no. you looking at? What, yeah, what you're looking at is no, it, no. That's the last one. Yeah, is that Peter Capaldi? Yeah, that's Capaldi. 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 Um, no, that is. Um, this isn't it. That must be Day of the Doctor. Yeah, I believe it, it is, is. If you're talking about Astro, the thing about it is yeah, the, the, the changes that they made. The changes that they made were subtle, and there were like color changes at one point. And Matt Smith at one point had like the same graphics as Tennant. But it started yep. blue and then turned orange. And yep. th- this is something entirely different. And I do. I'm a sucker for the face and the credits. Yeah, I like I like it, too. I like it, too. And uh, I understand. It's interesting because um, it was very clear that when they rebooted Doctor Who and but when they relaunched it, they were mm-hmm. like, there's wonky things about the show that we're just not going to do. We're not going to show right. his face in space. He's not going to yeah. wear something weird. Like, there's just yeah. all these things mm-hmm. about the show that were, like, dumb and they weren't going to do. And then 
uh, eventually they were like, no, we should go back and start doing that stuff again because yeah. people liked it and it's Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And they got basically they had enough of an audience that was comfortable with the new premise to start accepting the big chunks of strawberries that are in the old premise. Mm-hmm. That's a, a actually a breakfast uh, cereal euphemism. I haven't eaten today. Yeah, I'm so just hungry. <laughs> yeah, well, I, this, I had um, dental work done. What do you think of this Milo Manara Spider Woman controversy? I, I think it's uh, pretty justified. If you've seen that image, it is a lady yeah. with her butt in the air. Really I mean, it really bad. is. Um, I have seen uh, sig- like I've seen people get upset over something that's a lot more tame than this. I just don't, like it. Just weirds me out, or I just don't understand. If they know the female's costume is spandex, how they could ever justify it looking like that on her butt? Because spandex has never done that in the history <laughs> oh, of spandex. Sure, Unless sure. she's pulling it into her butt crack and like gluing it in there. It's one of her spider well, powers. Yeah. yeah she I just has don't understand how it does that. I will say this, and I think Stephen and I talked about it on Dueling Reviews. Yep, we did. The more that I hear about it, the more I hear people saying, well, you don't have the right to be offended by this, or you don't have the right to be. Yeah, you do. I don't know if Everybody I have has the right that, but... to be offended. Well, yeah, I mean, I've people heard can people be offended. say that. People have said that to me on social media. Why are they offended by this? This is not aimed at them. Well, that's not the point. People are seeing a book that is ostensibly being positioned as here's a strong female character in a solo title. And both covers, to my eye, but especially that variant cover, are – and also we're going to hypersexualize this image so as we can get the guys to buy it who wouldn't normally look at the book. And I yeah. think that you know, somebody made the point of why would you blame Milo Minara – I think it was Dan Slott. Why would you blame Milo Minara for drawing like Milo Minara? I don't. I blame the people – you yes. know what Milo yes. Manara draws yes. like. And said, yeah. that's, that's the thing. So Manara is doing, and this is the only one that's really popped up that's caused a lot of a fuss. He's doing a lot of variant covers in the month of November for Marvel. Mm-hmm. I took a look at the Thor mm-hmm. one. Thor one is relatively tame compared to this. But again, when you hire Milo Manara for a job, you know yep. he's going to deliver something that is erotic, mm-hmm. um, lurid, whatever you want to say, pornographic, whatever you want to use in this case. Mm-hmm. Um I think I, – I guess I don't have a problem with Marvel saying, hey, we're going to hire Milo Minara to do variant covers. I don't right. think that's the problem. I think the problem lies in whoever thought that it was a great idea to have Milo Minara do the Spider-Woman number one variant cover mm-hmm. because well, they knew that this is what they were going to get. Sure, and they could have sent it back for changes. I mean, yeah, yeah. if you if you want to talk about – whose decision was it to market this comic it was marvel's marvel mm-hmm. had mm-hmm. a thousand opportunities to stop this from going out and they didn't right. so this is marvel right. yeah. if you want to yeah, be yeah. mad at someone Absolutely. be mad at marvel that's that's my um, point you is. can be mad at milo manara if you want but i mean the the fact of the matter is he is a guy who draws erotic stuff now once pressed for it he had like the classic like dude like, hey, it's not my fault. Instead of worrying about this comic, you should be worried about Gaza or some crap. Yeah. Like, that's like the classic thing. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. like, you almost know when someone's in the wrong, when the first thing they said is, shouldn't you be worried about the Middle East? Yeah, he was yeah. saying, oh, shouldn't we be worried about Gaza yeah. and Ferguson, Missouri and all that. Right, right, right. 
Yeah. Because Which, to him, I mean, well, and again, to him, this is just everyday right. stuff that he does. But you, and the, the in, problem is, and in Europe, this would probably be a lot more acceptable than well, it is because he's famous in Europe. Sure. Um, than but he's, here, but he's famous for a different market, right? I mean, that's that's what, and that's where the responsibility is ultimately on Marvel. Is, I just think this is a poor match for this title and this artist. I uh, really do. Just absolutely. like I, just like I said when they announced Spider Woman number one, I had concerns that they have Greg Land doing the art mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. Well, Greg Land traces pretty things. I mean, it's not as though Greg Land can't draw non-sexual characters. Granted, he does, you know a lot of wrestling and porn characters saying that it's, you know, reference for the body type. And to a point, I think you can defend that. I think that this is a different argument when it comes to Minara. And I think that it's disingenuous to say that, oh, it's just a variant, so it shouldn't matter. Well, that was Dan Slott's argument, yeah. Again, I think it's disingenuous to say that um, because, you know, Minara draws draws like Minara, that it, it, it should be fine. No, that's I mean, that's basically a boys will be boys argument. And that's that's not something. Well, that you and, can and you can really see agree. and you can see them just like passing it back and forth. Right. It's like mm-hmm. Minara is like, well, Marvel didn't well, Marvel, give me any changes. But Marvel hasn't made a statement on this. That's the thing. Right. You know, right. a lot of people are saying, well, here's why the covers are wrong. You know, here's the issues with these covers and people are going back and forth. And of course, people are being a little crazy, in my opinion. Um, I don't think some Marvel's of their responses, make a but I'm surprised that Marvel has not made a, a statement beyond some of their creators like Dan Slott right, who right. Uh, who've come out and said it and Rob Liefeld who doesn't work for Marvel but you know has an interest in Marvel <laughs> has an opinion on everything sure he does um i just i just think whoever thought that this was a great match to have Milo Minara do the variant cover for Spider-Woman number 1 is needs to Incorrect. reevaluate some things yep yeah. You know, because it, go, it go, look, go look at the go over to Majorspoilers.com, Look at the um, November 2014 solicitations for Marvel and you'll see all the variants that he's doing. You'll see he's doing one for Thor, God of uh, Thunder number 25, I think is what he's doing one on. Now, uh, is, but he's, is that a story of the female Thor or is that Thor Thor? No, this is Thor Thor. Or at least it's male Thor on the cover. Um, okay. So it's it's just and I didn't go through everything to see if there was an, you know, I was just looking through them very quickly to see where the variants were at. But he's doing a bunch of them that month, not all of the variants, but he's doing sure. a bunch of them and people can go and see and, and see what else he's doing. And I think everybody will come to the same conclusion. Wrong title for this artist. It's I mean, again, I. Uh, we did the Manara library a while ago. Yeah, we did. And I recall him drawing people just like standing up mm-hmm. or like actually climbing yeah, things yeah, like things. it's not like he can only draw people no he can draw are, he can draw so it's not a bad match for this the 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 problem that happened was when marvel got the initial sketch and then go oh yeah let's let's not have her mooning the city <laughs> fratello <laughs> fratello i don't know what do, what do italian people call each other like uh n- nutella bro uh, bro yeah bro yeah, yeah, that's what i said nutella. fratello it's a new dialogue. I was trying to find. I know he's doing a Thor. Uh, Chicken to Caravaggio. A Thor cover. Uh, anyway. That's cool. All right. Uh, hey, everybody. If you want to go and pick up any of the things that we've talked about, maybe some of these comics in collected form when they come out, head over yeah. to Majorspoilers.com. There is that link to Amazon.com. And maybe you want to buy some Guardians of the Galaxy paraphernalia. Maybe you want to pick up a trade paperback. Maybe you want to get the Minara collection. Yeah, it's, it's over there at Amazon. Click on that link. Um, you get it for the same price, a little bit comes back our way and, um, and helps us do more here at major spoilers. We mentioned a couple of podcasts. Um, 
Matthew mentioned a dueling review where we talked about this Minara issue a little bit more in depth uh, last week. You can find that in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network Master Feed. This week, we're going to be talking about Bob's Burgers number one. I know a lot of people are interested in Bob's Burgers. We're going to be reviewing that. That's a brand new comic from that. uh, I forget who that's from. Is that Boom Studios? Either Boom Boom or IDW. Sounds boomy. And then, uh, man, if you want to hear some stuff about horrible people, (laughs) check out the most recent version of Munchkinland, where we sat Mm -hmm. down and played Cards Against Humanity. First time I'd ever played. I didn't know anything about the game until we sat down and played. you immediately fell in love, didn't you? I mean, it's not a horrible game. It's just grossly inappropriate for... You know, sitting down for and playing for, for, for most any, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you do want to check that out uh, over in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network Master Feed. And check out a couple of our other shows like the Wayne's Comics Podcast, Geek History Lesson, and of course, Magic Minute. We love those shows, part of the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. Let us talk about some reviews. Reviews. So coming out, well, mine's coming out in two weeks. Um, oh, Rodrigo, I want to know about Legend of Korra, the Venom of the Red Lotus, the final episode of uh, season three, which has just been mired and plagued with terribleness, uh, uh, mostly from Nickelodeon's, terribleness. Yes, mostly from Nickelodeon's mishandling of the launch. Right. So, and, oh, and I should say uh, the Nerdist writers panel sat down with the creators of Korra a few episodes ago, and they go into d- some really good detail about why. Things got so screwed up, mm-hmm. and I would suggest and encourage you to go listen to uh, to that podcast. Sorry, go ahead. That's fine. Uh, so yes, uh, Nickelodeon on their website, as they have been, uh, released the last two episodes, which is basically just one kind of feature sized um, episode, um, which is uh, Into the Void and Venom of the Red Lotus. Um, although I don't remember which one's which. Yeah, it listed Venom as the Red Lotus as the last one. All right, so. so so the first one is Into the Void. Um, and it is the rollicking season finale of Legend of Korra, and it was rollicking. I mean, it is like a nonstop tug-at-your-heartstrings emotional action fest. You see new, like, new types of bending. People pick stuff up on the fly cool um people get nearly dead people get actually dead this these two episodes have pun entirely intended the most metal death i've seen in uh animation possibly ever wow yeah um i guess you know so so from that standpoint these two episodes are great they're super exciting it has a not quite like it has a down ending, not necessarily a downer ending. You know, it's like it's not mm-hmm. like well, everyone dies, but it is like you know, there's been serious and severe consequences to what happened, right? Um, or you would think there would be, which brings me to kind of like the bird's eye view of the series, which is like, um, hey, remember last season when like there was this big spirit thing? Yeah, yeah. none of that mattered in this. Uh, season really? like at the very beginning there were like those vines around mm-hmm. and like they keep going to this place that has like a little fountain that's full of like cute little spirits but seriously the spirit thing didn't play out at all really? at all nope Interesting. not even a little bit yeah, this I, got, season. I was only able to watch like the first three episodes so i haven't seen yeah. anything so if you were if you were expecting to see how the people of the world of uh legend of korra are dealing with this new spirit thing they're not it didn't change their lives at all 
Like really? you, you Interesting. don't. Yeah, they go to Basingse. You don't. I don't think you ever see any spirits kicking around Basingse. So hmm. you know, it's. Um, but again, if you ignore that, the fact that we were kind of in a sense promised that, um, and you just take this for what it is, which is, um, kind of a a, a bunch of um, your cool heroes trying to accomplish something while a crack squadron of evil guys are trying to kill your main character. Like, it's it's super effective in that sense. Um, The only other issue that I had with the series as a whole is it just has way too many characters, which means a lot of the cool characters from earlier get relegated to the sidelines. And aside from Korra and arguably Bolin, like, there are very few like major changes to the characters despite the fact that huge transcendent things are happening they introduce a character in like the third episode he's there f- into like the fourth and fifth episode and then disappears for several episodes before mm-hmm. he comes back and, you're, and i was like oh there's that guy again like oh yeah he was important i really expected him to them to do way more with him yeah and you know like have some kind of moment at the end and he doesn't he just is like hey remember this cool guy yeah and then at the end, they have like this just like really um, great moment where uh, th- there's these like metal bending cop types that are helping the heroes. And then at the end, one of them like is helping someone else um, and she takes off her helmet and now you can see her face. And it's like the guy's like, oh, thanks for helping me out. And, and she's like, call me. And then she gives him her name. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this character is going to be important next season. But it's like, I don't know, that was like, it felt like a really contrived introduction for the character. Like, all of a sudden, they're referring to this, like, random extra by her first name, which they weren't before. Yeah. Um, There's this uh, game that I was playing called uh, Ogre Battle 64. And, um, (laughs) yes, that's right. And it sounds exactly (laughs) as awesome as that sounds. Okay. Um, And in it... Uh, the way that you get new units, basically new characters to play with, is you have this army of faceless soldiers, and when those guys level up enough, they become, like, actual soldiers that you can, like, pick and do things with, um, and they get a name. And that's what this felt like, is, like, she fought the bad guys enough and got enough XP that, like, her helmet disappeared, and now she had a face and a name. Interesting. I'm spending way too much time on like this little introduction. I'm sure next season she'll be interesting and important, but it goes back to the problem. Now there are 37,000 characters, which they could barely handle in season two before they added 10 more characters. And now this Mm -hmm. season, there's at least two new characters that are going to be dealt with. So there's too many characters, too much stuff going on. And that all that means is that everybody's story, except for Korra's gets really watered down. Mm -hmm. So, um, for season three as a whole, um, I would give it, I would definitely give it, probably give it four slices of meatloaf. I mean, it was really solid. It was like a lot of good stuff going on, 
But did again, it re- it's like it didn't deliver on the promise of spirits, and there's just way too much stuff going on. Yeah. Um, these last two episodes are probably a five slice of meatloaf affair just on the action. Okay. Like the action itself is just. I heard a lot of people watching. just saying it was super awesome. It was. It is just rebunculous. Is this? So let me ask you this: compared to last season, where it just kind of fell into the into the sewer for a long time right. and then redeemed itself in like the last three episodes, the same thing happened here. Uh no, no. This is a steady upward. Oh, so it's like, just a, yeah, excitement fest. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Four slices of meatloaf. Uh, Zach, you went and watched a movie last week. Yes. Did you watch this on the iTunes? No, I watched this Which, in the theater. In, in the theater. I hope you got in for free, right? I did. Okay. Thankfully. Let's be cops. I went and watched Let's Be Cops because Aubrey and I saw some trailers for this movie. And we were initially drawn to it because the two lead actors... Uh, are two of the main actors a new in, girl a new girl which we both enjoy and they seem to be kind of acting inside their characters for the show mm-hmm. I, I think they're funny characters on the show but the difference between new girl and let's be cops is new girl is 22 minutes long <laughs> let's be cops is 105 uh, needless to say we did not make it through the 105 minutes. Oh, wow. Really? You walked out of it. Never in my life have I walked out of the middle of a movie in a theater. But we are getting close to the beginning of the third act. And I know this because it's an unbelievably predictable movie. Uh, <laughs> I reach over for the popcorn. Aubrey catches my eye. She goes, you want to leave? <laughs> I go, seriously? Goes, yeah. Yeah, seriously. This is boring. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, so, so the premise of Let's Be Cops, two guys kind of down their luck, throw on some cop uniforms, uh, they go to this apparent Halloween party, costume party for these alumni, it wasn't, it was a masquerade ball, laugh, 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 uh, but then one of them just decides, they're walking down the strip in Hollywood and they're getting all this love and attention and stuff because they're cops, so they decide, let's be cops now, uh, and that premise (laughs) is... It's really funny for about 25 minutes. There's some really funny stuff. They're like, should we do this? This is illegal. Uh, they try to get with girls. They have to break up this fight. They Well, then you're introduced to the big bad guy. He's knocking over the little stores, and he's got a scar, and he's got his posse. And they're like, oh, we're going to take him down. Uh, so there is some fairly funny things. In the first thirty minutes of this film, which is like okay, let's let's keep this going. Nope, nope, nope not at all. The the one character who's uh, what's his name, uh, Jake Johnson, gets he's down on his luck. He used to be the starting quarterback at the university, can't do anything, so he finds a significance in his life by faking to be a cop and makes himself sergeant and all this random crap. Uh, his friend doesn't want to do it. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, I left, and I looked at her, and I said, this is how the movie's going to end. They're going to do something heroic. Oh, first off, his uh, his friend, who's uh, uh, Damon Wayans Jr., mm-hmm. gets hooked up with this girl, because he's a cop, right? Okay, so first, she's going to find out he's not a cop, and she's going to get upset. Right. They're going to get found out by the cops, eventually, after they stop the big bad guy. And they're going to get let go. They're not going to get in trouble, because... They did something heroic. Uh, friend uh, Jake 
the actor, Jake Johnson, will decide he's going to become a cop. And the last scene will be like six months later. He'll be graduating. Uh, his friend was a game developer. His game will finally be in production. And they'll be back together. I took me 35 minutes to find the spoilers for the film. That was the ending. Good job. Thank you. But there actually was the third act gets apparently super violent. Wow. Like they go and they're trying to bust up this gang. And apparently there's a lot of shooting and a lot of blood and weird. Like that's interesting, but not really because it's not what the movie was supposed to be. It's like this comedy. Uh, I heard someone online, I think it was one of the reviewers on Grantland said this movie's should have been called Let's Be 22 Jump Street. Well, that's what it sounds like exactly, when you were explaining it. It sounded exactly like that. Was, right. This sounds like a bad right. Saturday like a, Night Live. Like it's a bad horrible, Saturday Night Live skit yes. that went too long. Yes. It's like a reverse 20, 21 yes, Jump Street, right? It is. almost Yeah. 22 Jump Street, if you didn't see that this summer, I really enjoyed that because 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street are completely self-aware in what they're doing of being remakes and then being a sequel and they just take it to the extreme of the tropes of sequel and they just blatantly call it out. This one doesn't call out it doesn't call out 95% of yeah. their cop I mean it tropes. is just a formula. Yeah, and then they try to call it out and then it's just super weird. Mm. It's like, "Oh, we watch too much movies or this is what they always do, but they only say it like three times." Mm-hmm. And it's not like the driving point of the movie is to just make fun of sequels. It was really, just really bad. It was a, it was it was just a horrible script because those two actors are actually pretty funny. If you watch New Girl, they're really they have like really good writers on New Girl. They understand who the characters are really well, and they can really tell a story and make it really funny for twenty two minutes. Now, Damon Wayans Jr. is great. He's hilarious. Yeah, he's really good as Coach a New Girl. Um, <laughs> but for comparison. It's really bad. I, this movie must be a lot better than Frank Miller's Sin City of Dame to Kill for because in its, what is this, yeah. uh, second week in release, it came in number four in the box office. The debut of Frank Miller's Sin City of Dame to Kill for mm-hmm. opened at eighth place. Wow. This, yeah. Let's be cops. Let's, made its budget let's, back. let's talk about a Dame to Kill later on when we're into the talking part of the show. Okay. Uh, Let's Be Cops made its budget back opening weekend and is now at like forty million with a budget of seventeen. So I really hope it doesn't get a sequel because that would be really bad. Um, you think they should just take their money and run? Absolutely, they should be happy that a late opening comedy like this made its money did back as well as it did, did as well as it did, especially going up against Guardians of the Galaxy and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. Um, they should be very happy that they did, and they should just kind of run away. Those two actors should go get with a better writer and a better director, and those writers and directors should, uh, I don't know, do something else. Not like don't leave the business, but I don't know. Try to find something they're good at. Laugh I think all could, the way to the could, bank. They could probably, yeah, laugh all the way to the bank and then maybe do TV or sketch stuff because the first 30 minutes when they actually had the premise that should have been the whole movie, they kind of nailed that. Cool. But uh, this is bad. I, we left. So this gets like one slice of meatloaf. One slice of meatloaf. All right. Well, I know I'm not going to. Yeah, don't no, no, go watch that. I went and watched Guardians of the Galaxy a couple days later and that was way better. Was that the first time you saw it then? Yeah, it was awesome. Okay, good. Uh, Matthew, Brain Boy. Hello. 
Well, Brain Boy was definitely better than that. Oh, God, I'm depressed just listening to this accent. Oh, man, that hurts my feelings. Brain Boy, colon, The Men from Gestalt, number four of four. Um, Dark Horse, who put out the Brain Boy comic, have actually brought back a lot of old school characters that I, for some reason, have an appreciation and a secret hidden love for. Brain Boy is one of them. They also got Captain Midnight. I believe they've got, um, oh, what's his face with the thing? Skyman. And I read the original Brain Boy series. I think it went 12 issues. Um, I should say the original. The, the Dark Horse one that they did last year. Stay with me on this. This is the follow-up limited series. And I have to say, this issue was really spectacular. I am, I am stunned at how much I like this issue. Written by Fred Van Lenty, uh, drawn by Freddie Williams, who I think Stephen loves. Yeah, he's a really good. I, I first encountered yeah. him on uh, when he was doing Robin over at DC Comics. Yeah, the, the, basically this whole issue deals with Matt Price, who is a telepathic secret agent known as Brain Boy. And the name actually was in the 60s coined to be mean and spiteful to him. And I love the fact that they've kept that. He has a handler who is a super kick-ass secret agent girl with all sorts of guns and gimmicks and things. She calls him Brain Boy. That's why he has the name. She's also been possessed by evil spirits who are these psionic spirits. And throughout this issue, Brain Boy can't use his powers because they're inside her brain and her outfit is completely impervious to his psionic powers. So he has to actually think for a living. And then we get to a point where we find out what the actual ploy that the men from Gestalt, which is so cool, have been doing. And it turns out what they've done is they've possessed world leaders, including the president of the United States. Which means that our hero, who's a super secret agent, but is not like, you know, Batman, not necessarily somebody who is deputized by the federal government, has to break into the White House and physically attack the president of the United States and the first lady in order to use his powers to basically exercise their brains. I really kind of like this whole concept. I like the breakdown, the way the story comes together. I love the way it ends. There are consequences of everything that Brain Boy does in this issue and in the previous series. And by the end of this book, they have positioned him for what I hope is a new, at least arc. I'd love to see a new ongoing, especially with this creative team. The art is amazing. They've given him sort of a costume, which he never had in the 60s. But they have got such a specific, cynical, but still fun voice for the main character and a tone for this book that I really enjoy. Four slices of meatloaf. I don't want to spoiler the ending for you. I've probably told you too much, but is this definitely. The final, is this the final issue of this series or is it? This is the final issue of this limited. This, is, uh, this was solicited as a four-part mini. Mm-hmm. But I think based on how well it sells, there's a chance for more Brain Boy and... He's tied into the uh, Project Black Sky overarching thing that they're doing with their characters. I believe Ghost is involved in this, and the Occultist is involved in this, and maybe Captain Midnight. Hmm. But Dark Horse is creating kind of a loose continuity for their super types, who, uh, frankly, they've got some good stuff going, and they're building a universe in a way that makes sense 
but also allows you to not have to deal with, oh my God, where were the Avengers when Spider-Man was having this big fight? Mm-hmm. It's not that kind of continuity. It's sort of a, a looser continuity in a bigger universe. And I'm a sucker for world building. Cool. And I'm a sucker for Brain Boy. You need to go read it. Cool. Excellent. Uh, coming out next week from Dark Horse Comics, September 3rd, is uh, Grindel versus the Shadow Number 1. This is from Dark Horse Comics, but they are working in conjunction with Dynamite Entertainment because Dynamite is the one that owns the rights currently for the Shadow. But uh, if you don't know who Hunter Rose is, he is an author who used to be an assassin uh, called Grindel, uh, has a big old sword on a staff. For those of you that may have read Mage Comics uh, way back in the day, Grindel, or Grindel was the backup in that. Um he has overtaken the mob and is basically in control of everything. And he's buying up little bits of antiquity. And he, these two guys come to him with this urn that they've dug up. Um, that was at the bottom of the Hudson river after a big brawl in the 1930s. And Hunter opens it up and discovers a scroll inside that he starts to read. And it transports him back to 1939 or whatever it was. I think it's 1939. So he is in the middle of the mob war. And it's right, I forget whatever year that they uh, repelled, um, repealed the prohibition. That's when the story takes place. And so he decides, hey, I'm in a whole new place. This is me that I can, I can take over and become awesome. And uh, so he wants to go in and start taking over the mob in very violent ways, the way that, that, uh, that Grendel does it. Of course, this is also the same world in which the shadow exists. And the shadow starts to see these mass murders of mobsters and decides to investigate. And so as the issue ends... The Shadow and Grindel meet face to face for the first time. Uh-huh. This is written and illustrated by Matt Wagner, uh, the creator of Grindel. And Ooh. it is it is really good. Now, art is um, Matt Wagner art. So if you know how he draws women and men and all those kinds of things and, and the uh, the strengths and weaknesses of Matt Wagner, that is all here in this issue for the art. But it is stunning in many places, especially when there's the uh, essentially a double page spread of Times Square in the 1930s fantastic um the shadow is written i think better than i've seen the shadow ever written before and here's why i like this issue this issue is very pulpy but instead of just following one character throughout the entire piece we actually get to see the viewpoint of multiple characters and get to experience their inner thoughts throughout the issue so we get to find out Margot's point of view on this whole story you know she's suddenly inherited a lot of money and she's making this decision well do I stay with the shadow do I leave the shadow we get to meet one of the mobsters uh, daughters who is about to take over the the mob that part of the family and we get to see her interactions with people in and around the community of course we get to see the shadow and how he reacts to everything Um, and of course we get to see Hunter Rose and his ability to just step in and command a situation and every character is written so uniquely that I was just drawn in by this. Now, this is a prestige format issue. It's, I think, 50-some pages. Uh, I don't know what the uh, cover price is. I'm going to bet it's six, seven bucks. Uh, it's the I think three, it's $5.99. $5.99. So it's, it's going to be a three-issue premium format miniseries. And if you like The Shadow, if you like Grindel, if you like Matt Wagner, if you like pulpy stories where two... Uh, I, I don't want to say that this is... This is as good as the time that Batman and Grindel <laughs> met for the first time. But it's as good as when Batman and Grindel met for the first time. Um, it's always about Batman. It is always about Batman. Well, because a lot of people, I, I honestly think a lot of people's first introduction to Grindel was that Batman-Grindel crossover event that they did. Um, 
But this is really, really good. And like I said, this is probably the best written shadow that I've read in a while. And certainly um, with Grindel, we've seen future Grindels. We haven't and we've done flashbacks to Hunter Rose, but this is really a Hunter Rose story. And uh, it's good. It is really good. So how uh, is Wagner's shadow as far as art wise? Oh, man, he commands a presence on the page. I mean, every and he really blends the shadow at times when the shadow wants to be out and kick ass. He is out there in the forefront, heavy in the frame, um, being very menacing. And I love how they do the word balloons for when the shadow's speaking. It's like uh, bold text that's white against a black um, word balloon that's floating Ooh. out there in space without a without a um, what is it called the stem? Mm. Uh, Not a tail. Uh, yeah, the tail of the of the balloon. Pointy thing. Yeah, it's really cool to see that. And then the other thing that's really cool is that when the shadow wants to be in the shadow, he's drawn in the shadows and oftentimes will appear the first time to mobsters as a shadow on the wall. Uh, The other thing that's really cool is from each of our point of view characters, it's almost like we're reading a diary and everybody's style is different. So Hunter Rose has this very elegant script. Margot's is more typewriter written. Um, the female mobster is, is, uh, more handwriting. It's just really well done. Everybody has a unique voice and I really like this issue. I'm giving it, uh, uh four slices of meatloaf out of five. I think there's, you know, it's wow. not, it's not a perfect story. In fact, I'm, I'm going to give it four and a half slices of meatloaf. Uh, it's not wow. a perfect story. I think there's some ways that, uh, Wagner draws, um, some of the faces are a little wonky at times. And especially in the way he draws, some of the women are a little wonky at times from my point of view. Um, but, uh, it's good. People should go pick it up. It comes out next week from, um, from dark horse comics. And I haven't really given you a lot of spoilers. It says right there in the solicitations that Grindel travels back in time and meets the shadow. All right. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so, uh, go pick it up. It comes out next week from dark horse comics, four and a half slices of meatloaf. Wow. I'm going to check that out. That yeah, you really cool. should. And if you, if you look, um, <clears throat> I did send the, uh, the preview issue to everybody this week. So. Mm-hmm. All right, the reviews are done, and let us dive into our major spoilers poll of the week. Oh, of the week! Everybody loves a fight, right? Everybody likes the Biff pa- Bam Pow, Bang, uh, maybe Zap. Maybe that's what I should have used in the title this week because I thought for some reason I was thinking of electricity, and uh, two characters that have electricity come to mind: Black Lightning and Electro. Put them in a ring and fight it out, Rodrigo. Who wins in this fight? Black Lightning. How come? Because he's the good guy. Hey, you know, that's my <laughs> argument, too. Black Lightning is the hero. Yeah. He, the so, hero's always going to yeah, win. So in most comics, yes, Black Lightning would win this one unless it wasn't his comic. Unless somehow he was just there for, like, Electra <laughs> to kill him to make Spider-Man mad or I don't know, Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, most of the time, I would say just on the on the rule that yeah, Electro is probably going to get the upper hand, but then Black Lightning. I think like Black Lightning is a really smart guy. Mm-hmm. The way I see oh, it going yeah. is they're like zappity zap, zap zap zap. Oh no, we are like evenly matched, and like right. he's like zap you, Electro, and Electro's like I am absorbing your electricity and stuff. And then, like, Black Lightning beats him with a completely non-electricity-related <laughs> yeah, like, well, way. He's, he's an like Olympic he, athlete. Yeah, like, he pushes him yeah. in front of a train yeah. or uh, something, right? <laughs> yeah, or like up there and gives him a sucker just, punch. Yeah, he's just, like, he detects that, like, a... Um, there are heavier books on top of on the top of the bookshelf than on the bottom, like uh, of like a big standing bookshelf. So he just like drops it on a lecture, and that's yeah, yeah, and that's how he beats him. Right, uh, 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 Zach. What about you? 
this is hard because I know so very little about either one of these. You know, I thought uh, about that. Yeah. I, I was like, do I need uh, to put a Wikipedia entry in for okay. these two characters I always just to, for Zach? I know to go to the Wikipedia <clears throat> so I can talk somewhat okay. unintelligently about either characters. Uh, but for what I know about Electro is all from Amazing Spider-Man 2. I'm sorry. Uh, and I know he can pretty much turn into nothing but like electricity particles in the sky. So that seems pretty deadly. He just kind of floats around Spider-Man a couple times in that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Black Lightning, according to his powers Wikipedia page entry, uh, I don't. Does he actually have powers? It's really. Yes. It's really he feels like he has a belt that can do some no. cool things. The belt was from his original appearance, and he hasn't used it since about '82. Oh, He's a meta human now. They should update that wiki page, dude. Uh, don't read superhero but, wiki page. Uh, so I probably have to go Electro, but if it was just off costume, Black Lightning would kick the crap out of Electro. Oh yeah. So Matthew, that was a question that somebody in the comment section wrote up there, like, "Well, yeah, which version of this hero are we using?" And this example, if if Zach wants to use Electro from Amazing Spider-Man Two, that's fine. And if he wants to use uh, Black Lightning from the 1970s, that's fine. But it does kind of matter in this kind of fight, right? Oh, I mean, sure. if we're looking at Black Lightning from the Electric well, Power Belt days, then maybe he's he, actually he more beat. powerful. You think than Electro? Yes. Can Electro like zap his battery power? During the Electric Power Bolt days, Black Lightning also had enhanced speed, strength, and durability that he got from the belt. Whereas later, when they when they went away from the belt, he just turned into an athlete who zaps people. If you actually go back and read the early Isabella issues, he's really tough and really strong, superhumanly so, because of the belt. Also worth noting, Electro is a dolt. Oh yeah, he's just a he's just a <laughs> common criminal that yeah. that got some powers. He's, he was actually a, a, a lineman for the electric company who got zapped. So you know he's an idiot. But yeah, Always I mean look it up does matter climb, depending kids. on the era. And stay out of trees near overhead lines. Did you guys ever watch that CG Spider-Man show that was on MTV? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember it. It's yeah. been a long time ago. That was like yeah. late 90s, early 2000s, something like that. Yeah, I want to say Yeah, the one 2000s. where the voice was Greg Brady. Yes. Um, in that one, I think it's the first arc of it, like maybe a couple episodes, the, the villain is Electro. Mm-hmm. And Electro gets his powers by being electrocuted by a neon sign. Not by being dipped in chemicals and then being electric. <laughs> like he just he just gets superpowers from getting an electric shock from a neon sign. Yeah, awesome. well, you can't make it too much like the Flash, right? You can't have him bathed in, in part of, in uh, chemicals. Well, and you can. Here's the, here's the thing: is like when you involved uh, when you involve uh, things that don't normally happen, mm-hmm. like somebody mm-hmm. getting a radioactive isotope in their eye, right, or. Uh, having a spider irradiated and then bite someone. Those are pretty rare occurrences. Mm-hmm. People get electrocuted fairly frequently <laughs> and they don't get superpowers. Yeah, they do. I've been trying to electrocute my son for weeks and he still doesn't have superpowers. Hey. Oh, I mean, I shouldn't have said that. This on, can be on used television. as evidence. Okay. <laughs> Electrocution involves death. Eh. Just remember that. Yeah. Or the definition of the word electrocution involves and being electrocuted to death. Definitions. There's. Damn you, Zachary. <laughs> Always naysaying. Mela says Black Lightning all the way, an Olympic athlete and scholar, would mop the floor with a glorified mook-like Electro. Uh, Spider Lover says that Electro, well, uh, then Black Lightning for the win. Is this a fight 
or a best uh, or a bad outfit expo. Slappy says, hey. looking at the picture, he's confused. He goes in and talks about uh, old school or new school. He says he votes for Electro in this case. That's because Slappy's a contrarian. Uh, Rob says you got to go with uh, Black Lightning for the win. Alicia says I voted Electro um, because he's most likely to fight dirty being a villain and all. I voted uh, Black Lightning just because he's the good guy. <laughs> it's a safe you know bet. Yeah. It's a safe yeah. bet. Yeah. How has the, everyone the voted so far? I actually haven't voted you know, yet. Well, oh, you, you did cast votes. your vote. No, I didn't. Because you never asked me what my vote I was. I did. It's a shame that I have to vote Electro. Oh, yeah? You know why? Why? Everybody knows alternating current beats DC. Uh, waka waka! 94 votes in the hole right now. Wah, 73%. Favoring the fro over the starfish mask. It should be noted that both of these costumes are classics. That Steve Ditko suit with the big starfish mask, that thing is epic. And the people who can draw it well can make Electro look really good in it. The problem is the people who can't draw it well ruined it for everybody else. Freaking Derek Larson. But... Black Lightning's original costume is probably one of the strongest costumes of the Bronze Age, as far as I'm concerned. That thing is awesome. Cool. Even with the Huggy Bear open down to the navel thing. You know, I've, you know what I've never been electrocuted by? What? What's My that? tweaked Eels. audio headphones. Oh. Anything. Never have I been shocked. Because you're alive. Never have <laughs> I been shocked by putting a pair of real audio headphones or tweaked audio headphones into my ears. That's good, because that would be right into your brain. I've been shocked by headphones before. Man. Where I've put on a pair and they're shoddy workmanship. I and wonder, you feel that zap right on your right on your ear. Was it from a certain company that whose phones we all like? No. Oh. It was just a cheap ass pair of headphones <laughs> from a certain store that sure. uh sells things. Uh-huh. Here's what I liked about Tweaked Audio though. Bunch of different styles, bunch of different colors. They've got the microphone built in so that if you're on the phone, mm-hmm, if you're mm-hmm. driving down the road with your iPhone or your other I suppose if you have an Android device. Um, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody calls you, you just press the button and answer and start talking, and there you go. Yeah. These things are great. Uh, the company stands by their product, and I know that if people have had problems with them before, Tweaked Audio has replaced them. Here's the best thing. When you head over to tweakedaudio.com, use the checkout code MAJOR and get 30% off your price. We thank Tweaked Audio for sponsoring this segment of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Yay! So, Cat uh, Halo wrote to us. It's been a while. He uh, listened to this week's show, so he figured he would uh, throw a few questions at us. Here's one for me. Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, Crisis, even Kingdom Come, and probably some Marvel stuff, too. These are seminal works, but are reasonably old at this stage. What are the odds of a newer tale gaining the same importance? Um, to be honest, I think that there are some tales that are going to gain that importance. I think once they collect... Grant Morrison's uh, Final Crisis Multiversity thing, I think that will be a seminal work. I think uh, Mark Wade's um, Irredeemable will be looked at as one of those kind of works. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very likely that we just there are some things that are in high demand. Uh, Invincible, uh, the first volume of Invincible could quickly become one of those seminal works of parodying uh, superhero comics. So I think that they're all out there and I think that they are. Uh, I think that they will be just as important coming up in, in the next couple of years. Hmm. Uh, certainly what they're doing with Spider-Man could be seen as that way. The, the um, superior, superior Spider-Man, Spider-Man would yeah, be I, that way. I think um, 
it's it's hard to see it when you're in it, but I think something like uh um fifty two. I mean yeah. people are way into fifty two. Yeah. yeah. And just like the the storytelling of it, the focus of it on on uh, kind of the side characters and things like that. So fifty two I think is gonna be one of those like I'm I wasn't crazy about it, but I think it's gonna be one of those things that people look at and say Whereas DC Comics now, and I think Fifty Two was a big part of that. Is there anything specific of that out of Fifty Two? You think like uh, Snyder's Batman, like the Court of Owls? Sure. Well, I think the thing that 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 makes um, the Fifty Two series oh, oh so good we're not about? not the new 52. yeah not the new Fifty Two oh, yeah, the, the series the, the, the series limited 52. series Fifty Two. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the thing that works for that is that you take the big guns out of the picture and you focus on yeah. B, C, D, E, and mm-hmm, F level mm-hmm. characters, mm-hmm. and right. you make those characters right. as important as the big guns, and you right. tell really compelling stories. And I think also you know you have this hook of this was a story, this was a tale told over the course of one year, and it and it reads in real time just like it was released in real time so everything takes place yeah. during that week of yeah 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 with some with like sure. with like a fair amount of stretching gonna, it's like watching yeah. an episode of 24 yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. no one goes to the bathroom right 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 <laughs> yeah. um, and dc has been really trying to recapture that feel you know with repeated not just their series the you know the weekly series they're doing but repeatedly touching on those same things i think that pop culture as a whole right now is in a recursive phase in a let's bring everything back. Let's just take it. And rather than call this, you know, something new, we're going to bring it back and we're going to posit it as a new version of Star Trek or a a sequel to Star Wars. That will change. But I think that there are some definitely some important stories that people aren't realizing just yet yeah, uh, that are floating um, around in recent history. The New Frontier, Darwin Cook's uh, New Frontier, I think is an ex- excellent example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that, again, it's going to be looked at as one of these great works of um, a- an homage to the Silver Age and the change in, in comic books uh, storytelling. I think to some degree it may already be. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. And it's, yeah, I, I mean, mean it's, and it is like, it is something like Kingdom Come, right? Yeah. Something that kind of exists outside the timeline. That it just kind it's of a, it's almost ten years old now. Kingdom Come is a little over twenty. So. Yeah, yep, yeah. But, yeah, but uh, New Frontier definitely is about it's over ten years old. Uh, Matthew yeah. goes on Cat Halo question for yes. you: DC versus Marvel in a traditional six man Survivor Series elimination match. What are the teams and how does it go? Also, thoughts on the new Who, which we've already talked about. We've done that. This is an easy one in that it's not easy at all. Your DC team: Team Captain Superman, Batman. And Adam Strange. Your Marvel team, Team Captain, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, and the Incredible Hulk. You're going to get to a point where you're going to have an awesome bit with Batman and Spider-Man going and doing their thing. Spider-Man will tag in Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange will take out Batman. Batman will then talk, tag in Adam Strange. You'll get Doctor Strange versus Adam Strange. It'll be space versus magic. It'll go pew, pew, pew. They'll eliminate one another. You'll get Spider-Man in versus Superman. That goes, <laughs> then you get Superman versus Hulk. And you're going to do the big schmoz, the big closing, the go-home spot, where the Hulk just rages out and gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And finally, Superman defeats him with an RKO and uh, takes the belt home at SummerSlam. So that's my six-man Survivor Series elimination match, Marvel versus DC. Have you guys seen- also, Black Lightning is in the audience. He looks awesome. Have you guys seen this um, 
independent film of this guy's just been working on it. He releases like a new bit each year of the Hulk versus Superman. It's a 3d animated, animated piece. Yeah. It's oh, pretty I have crazy. seen that. It is pretty crazy. Yeah. It's, it is messed up. The first two, that... I think it's the first two parts have been released. Third part, exactly. I think it was yeah. supposed to come out this year, but I don't think it has. I don't know. So yeah, go check that out. Rodrigo question for you. Hello. Is a good D and D movie possible? Yes. Thank you. Zach. Mine was easy. Um, yes, a good D&D movie is possible. And in fact, there have been several good D&D movies. Um, there were three directed by Peter Jackson. Those were pretty good uh-huh. D&D movies. Yeah. Um, Lady Hawk was good. Yeah, Lady Hawk is a, is a pretty decent D&D movie. Legend is actually a decent D&D movie. Any yeah, movie yeah. that is medieval yeah. fantasy that has a team involved yeah. is actually a good D movie the problem is is that people get tripped up as soon as it becomes a D property right movie mm-hmm. there are plenty of good kind of team based you can argue that the hobbit movies are good D movies i'm not going to because i wasn't crazy about them but um any movie that is medieval fantasy and even you know, not necessarily European medieval fantasy um, that is that is centered around the team is actually a good D&D movie. I would argue that if they were zapping each other with uh, wands instead of shooting each other with guns, Three Kings is actually a great D&D movie. Okay. Do you think uh, Duncan Jones is directing the Warcraft movie that's going to come out in 2016? Yeah. Yep. Do you think... That the success of that movie, if it's successful, could lead into Dungeons and Dragons. Because Warcraft, technically, I've never really played it. I know there is kind of some through storylines, but yeah. it's kind of this giant, massive multiplayer yeah, yeah. game. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, do you Careful think uh, that could spurn an actual D and D property? That's movie? actually that's actually a great question because if if so the the previous D and D movie with two. like Thor of Birds, so movies, the previous. Yeah two D&D movies um, have exited the public consciousness, right? And if they haven't, they're there in a negative sense (laughs) most of the time. Um, Would the Warcraft movie help D&D? It might and it might not. It might help it because it's going to be like, hey, look, it's viable to do this super high fantasy type thing, but it might not because Warcraft borrows hand over fist from D&D like so hard. Yep. I mean, you can say, well, everybody's borrowing for Tolkien, but no, like Tolkien, like D&D was like, okay, we'll take these things and we'll add these things. And then Warcraft mm-hmm. took all of those things and made a video game out of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yep. it's like um, when people see, you know, uh, blood elves and high elves or I actually not familiar uh, with Warcraft. Yeah, it's blood elves and night elves. Yeah, Blood Elves and Night Elves, and then later on they try to do, you know, like Drow and High Elves and, you know, or Eldrin types and, like, Wild Elves. People will be like, hey, this D&D stuff is just like Warcraft, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? So that it might hurt in that sense. Mm-hmm. It would be like, I don't know. Um, well, I mean, you know, Dragon Age um, and Dragon Age Redemption, that series, has, yep. been, has been fairly, and I say fairly well received by, oh, like, by people, fans. People love Dragon Age. Yeah. People and, freaking love Dragon Age. But Dragon Age, do you know do you know the story the history of Dragon first, Age? Right? Is that a video game first? Yes. Yeah. Dragon Age uh is by a company called Bioware. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, a lot of people are familiar with Bioware. Um and Dragon Age is what happened when Bioware lost the D D license. Ah, so they were okay. making D D games and then yeah. they lost the D&D license, so they were like, well, we have all these elements, let's just keep making D&D games and call it something yeah. else. 
And that gave them a lot of freedom to kind of write their own stories mm-hmm. um, yeah. and actually make a game that was kind of its own thing. But there are huge D&D influences in oh, Dragon yeah. Age for obvious reasons. Right. Now, they have the animated movies, but then they also have the one that had, uh, um, what's her name from uh, Felicia Day. Geek and Sundry? Yeah, Felicia Day, uh, Dragon Age Redemption. I think those are fine D&D movies. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I kind of yeah. agree with you, Rodrigo. I think you know, as long as you keep D&D off the title of the movie, you can make a great D&D well, movie. And, and, and you can have it on the title of the movie. It's just that's the thing is like you Dungeons and Dragons is designed to be a generic high fantasy setting. Right. Mm-hmm. D&D's biggest asset is also its biggest problem. It when you read a, a, a player's handbook or a dungeon master's guys, you can watch sentence by sentence the the book fighting itself, telling you this is cool and unique and interesting, but also there's a super generic dwarves do what you already expect them to do, you guys. Right. So uh, that conflict will translate to any D and D property unless somebody comes in and is like, yeah, let's do a D and D movie. Let's set it in Eberron where there are robots and where there's a train that's powered mm-hmm. by elementals that goes around all the major cities and where there's all this right. extra stuff it's like a dnd specific setting mm-hmm. but it's not going to be your genetic like or genetic generic like nentir veil kind of uh, <laughs> yeah. setting mm-hmm. do you think well and it's hey, go ahead matthew i think what's difficult in the dnd movie that i saw was that they were trying to put the meta aspect of the role-playing into the movie which was essentially trying to be two things it was trying to be you know tom hanks and his friends in the hills and it was also oh. trying to be an adventure story i think the problem part of the problem with a D movie is that people expect that it's going to be about somebody playing a character rather than about the stories being told with the characters that we you know the the omniscient viewer play in the game oh, so I don't, I, do you think that the D movie that. would be uh, the like the legend of drizzed I I mean that's that would be a smart move because the legend of Driz is super mega popular. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that w- if they were going to make a D&D movie like the number one smartest move that they could make even if I would probably hate it mm-hmm. is do a legend of Driz movie. That would be their smartest move. Mm-hmm. Um second smartest move, some other already written already having a fan like the Greyhawk stuff mm-hmm. or any of the other stuff that already has a following. That's what the executives are going to want, wonder, and that's what's going to pay off. Um, what the heck is that D&D board game? Um, Wrath of Ashardalon? No. The one where you... Castle Ravenloft? No. It is the... Um, ah, crap it. It's the one with the... Uh, the Waterdeep Baldur's, one? Yeah, the Waterdeep. Um, Lords of Waterdeep? W- Lords of Waterdeep. I could see that being a that's, thriller-type story. That's Forgotten Realms. Set, yeah, set in the Forgotten Realms, but it's you know it takes place with this espionage of who is, uh, who is telling who absolutely. to overtake Absolutely, and that's the, the thing. City. That's the problem with the D&D movies that have happened, is they are kind of like these very generic fantasy movies, mm-hmm. but when you have the, you know, dozen or so popular settings of D&D, you can take any of those and write a compelling story that focuses on one of the lich lords or like uh, like sorcerer lords in um, Dark Sun. Yeah. Right? And your party has to traverse this terrible, horrible desert. There's a dwarf without a beard. Um, elves are thieves no. and you just go from there and you just mm-hmm. tell that story instead of trying to make like the D&D core book the most generic <laughs> fantasy thing which is not going to be appealing mm-hmm. 
Because, again, somebody already did it, and they did it great, and it was Lord of the Rings. So you think if they ever do a D&D movie, they should kind of do, like, World of Warcraft and not call it World of Warcraft? They're just calling it Warcraft. You think if they did, like, a Lord of Waterdeep-type D&D movie, they just call it Lords of Waterdeep? That would and just be... leave out Dungeons and Dragons no, and they all, br- there's, like, a stigma yeah, I think, behind it? I think it. you're right. I think they should just call it Legend of Drist and just do that story. Yeah, I mean, and they can do that. They can call it... Dungeons and Dragons in tiny letters, yeah. Legend of Driz, and then all of the promotional stuff, you know, when you see it in the marquee of theaters, mm-hmm. it'll just say Legend of Driz. Yeah. But, you know, it's, you know, and all the promotional stuff, you can still say Dungeons and Dragons. You can mm-hmm. still have this, like, property Little of Hasbro yeah. underneath. Yeah. 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 Sure. You know, it's all, you can still have all that stuff. Sure, sure. Uh, Cat Halo does have a question for you, Zach. Sure. Uh, firstly, congratulations, he says. Oh, thank you. I think it must mean because... Um, uh, because you, of your cool bike that you're getting. Yeah, yeah. haven't been fired this month. Because you, you uh, won the, <laughs> yeah. the game of Cards Against Humanity? Secondly... Secondly, Marvel Studios may have changed how movies are made with all the notion of a shared universe, not just a franchise of sequels. Star Wars, Spider-Man, DC's upcoming uh, slate, obviously, though they're forcing it a bit. Godzilla and Kong are going to share, and Universal have said they want their classic monsters to do the same. Do you think Marvel has changed everything? And what movies would you like to share a universe? Die Hard and Lethal Weapon, Trek and Wars? Um, so... Do I think Marvel has changed everything? No, because everything encompasses a lot of things. They've most probably definitely changed the way large properties are going to handle their movies. Because they've shown that if you can make two successful movies that are going to start tying into each other, they're going to propel things forward and forward. If you can even like match the same level of good as the previous. Cause I think Iron Man three was the, well, it was not as good as the original. I don't think any of the Iron Man's have been as good as the original Iron Man, sure. but they've all made more in the box office than the first one. Iron Man three made like $800 billion in the box office. It was insane. It like doubles what, uh, Captain America made this year. So from financial point, Marvel has certainly shown there is a financial gain from interconnecting a bunch of movies with well-known properties and going forward. And the well-known properties thing helps a lot, especially when starting. Um, so I, I mean, we saw like Sin City two just tanked yeah. at the box office and. It had a. F- I never saw the first one, but people seemed pretty positive about it, and I think it got some good reviews. Yeah, I'm sure it, was it made hit. some money. Yeah, it was. Uh, and that didn't. It's in the same world. It takes place before the first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't get a boost at all. So the well-known properties is kind of a big deal and should not be overlooked when you're talking about Marvel changing up uh, the film industry. Uh, is there anything I'd like to be together? No. Uh, because for me, like I don't really care if the world's interconnected. I find the interconnectedness of worlds more interesting when it's like the Coronado trilogy of Edgar Wright's Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, uh, World's End kind of thing, mm-hmm. or how Tarantino connects all of his movies through weird little yeah, just things, little, little things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's interesting because it really doesn't. Cigarettes. Yeah, 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 it doesn't really affect the overall plot of a movie. Uh, I think we've discussed this before about how Marvel has to shoehorn stuff into certain movies to oh, yeah. they do. get 
the movies to interact yeah. with yeah, each other. The, and the bigger, the the higher the universe yeah. expands, the mm-hmm. more complicated that becomes. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Guardians kind of avoided it to a point. Mm-hmm. There's some certain bits in, included there, but it certainly didn't feel like like the collector was shoehorned in. I felt like the collector was added to uh, was at the end of Captain America. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thor. So, was it Thor? Yeah, yeah, yes. it was in a Thor to get to Guardians. Like it didn't affect either plot. Uh, Thanos really makes his first appearance here. Like mm-hmm. he was barely showing the Avengers. So Guardians felt like a standalone yeah. movie, and it's obviously paid off uh, pretty big for them. Question for the group: What, in your opinion, is the worst comic to movie adaptation? Not necessarily the worst movie, but the worst movie ad- adaptation of the comic. Who got it most wrong? Uh, for me, it's got to be. Um, Frank Miller's take on the spirit. Uh, but see, Ooh, that's tough. that is an adaptation of a comic that was itself an adaptation of another comic, right? Like no, Frank Miller, actually like no. Frank Miller didn't put out a comic Mm-mm. that was the spirit. Nope. Oh, okay. Nope. Gotcha. Nope. He took the spirit and said, Hey, remember all that cool stuff I did with <laughs> sin city. I'm going to do it with the spirit and wow. I'm going to make it wacky and crazy. And, have nothing to do with what the spirit was about, and it was no. awful. That's that's my city screams. What do you have, Rodrigo? Uh, worst comic book to movie adaptation. That is a difficult one because there's been some really bad ones. Probably the is it eighties Captain America? No, oh, where he's on the motorbike. <laughs> yeah. With the helmet? yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that was the seventies. The eighties. Well, the nineties Captain America had rubber ears. Oh, that's maybe the one I'm thinking about. Is it the one where he was wearing like a stripe? He wasn't wearing a Captain America costume. Did he have a clear shield riding a motorcycle? This is the one where the Red Skull is Italian. That's the one from (laughs) 1991 that came out in the wake of Batman. That one's awful. Yeah, that movie. um, uh, That movie has at the beginning has a a, a a disclaimer that says like this movie was put together with the best material available or something <laughs> like that and i was like what? like I'm, i was watching that and i was like is this movie bashing the marvel comics or it's saying we ran out of budget and that's why there are so many shots of trees in it yeah um what did you say it came out 91 is what matthew said 91 90 91 yeah it's not a good Yeah, movie. I think I've seen I the trailer it for that. for the site. Yeah, you did. I remember that. A long time ago. Zach, what do you have for your worst movie? Uh, it's a comic, or a comic book to movie adaptation. I honestly don't know. I could say the internet favorite and just say Constantine. I never actually saw it, nor have I really read the comics, but it seems to be a popular opinion. Matthew? Uh, He's sucking up to me. Uh, I'm going to go with Zach, Constantine, for two reasons. Well, technically three reasons. One... It took a really good arc of Hellblazer and completely dumbed it down and took out the bits of that story that made it good. It completely changed the the nature of the character, the setting, and everything about the character to fit an actor who wanted to, you know, do the movie, which I understand why they do that. I mean, money is money. But most importantly, basically, it took these trappings and made the Magatrix. Because that movie is basically... The Matrix with John Constantine 
and John Constantine is the character's name. They didn't even know how to pronounce the character's name when the okay, I'm good. But yeah, that's probably the worst for me because it misunderstands the source material in all of the worst ways. And as bad as the Captain America, even Captain America with Reb Brown in 1978 seemed to have an appreciation for the character and they wanted to make a Captain America movie. The Constantine movie wanted to make some awesome shiny matrix money and they didn't care what they put, you know, Keanu in and they completely twisted and damaged not just the concept of the character, but the story, which again, dangerous habits. That story's got teeth. If you've ever read it, that story is vicious. It is mean. It will bite you. And the movie was just, eh. All right, cool. All right, well, there you go. Some questions and answers uh, this week on the Major Spoilers Podcast. In fact, that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Next week, because somebody asked for it, Planetary Volume 1, because we know that you love comics and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. If I had the X-ray vision of a Superman, I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine bee in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 whoa. what a major spoiler. Major Spoilers is copyright 2014. Oh, 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 you need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. 
Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 